You're listening to How to Win with Mike Moore, the podcast that provides you with practical insights on how to win in every arena of life. Hello, I'm Mike Moore, and welcome to this Tuesday edition of the How to Win podcast. It is Tuesday. I'm so glad to have you with us today. Listen, you can get us on Facebook. You can get us on YouTube. And I want you to begin to transition over to Mike Moore Ministry. That's going to be your primary way of getting us real soon. Listen, I am so glad to have you with us today. We're going to have a blast today. Please tag a friend. Let them know that we're on. Good to have you with us, Victoria. I see you, Jewel. Lachelle, Marion, good to have you with us today. Listen, we're talking about God wants you to be rich. This is our fourth lesson. If you were with us in our last session, we had a storm to hit our campus, knocked out the power right in the middle of my teaching, God wants you to be rich But guess what? No weapon formed against us shall prosper. The word of God is not bound. So I'm just going to go back and teach everything I was teaching because the word is not bound. Good to have you with us, Sharon, Delicia, Carolyn, Kendall. Good to have you, Lori. Good to have you with us. This is How to Win Podcast. We're teaching on God wants you to be rich. This is our fourth lesson, lesson one, two, and three. We talked about God's will. It is his will that you live a rich life. We gave you a Bible definition in our first uh, three lessons on what the word rich means biblically. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 is a Bible definition of what the word rich means. God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that you always have an all-sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. That is the Bible definition of the word rich. And Jesus, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, he paid the price for the rich life. We also looked at individuals in the Bible whom God made rich, and we looked at the factors that they overcame. Then finally, in our third lesson, we began to talk about the 10 assassins of the rich life, 10 assassins. I'm going to go back briefly because we covered seven of them. We said that ignorance, number one, stinginess, number two, failure to teach on prosperity, number three, anti-prosperity teaching is an assassin, number four, fear-based teaching, number five, some who are fleecing the flock, Number six, and then we said spiritual laziness is an assassin of the rich life. You have to watch out for those assassins because Satan does not want you to live the rich life. God wants you to live a rich life. So in this session, we're going to look at number eight. We're going to look at number nine and number 10. 
and I'm just going to go right back over everything I was talking. No storm can stop the word of God. You agree with that? I know you're ready. I know you're ready to get your lives changed. Good to have you with us, Carolyn and Henry Roberts. Good to have you with us. Uh, Pastor Perry, good to have you with us. Evelyn, good to have you with us. We're talking about assassins. Now let's look at number eight. The eighth assassin of the rich life is trust in the world's system. There are two systems operating in the earth today, and you can prosper through either system. You can prosper through God's system, or you can prosper through the world system. Now, what we're developing and attempting to develop you in is God's system. But let's look at the world system. Many believers, even though they may not realize it, they are trusting the world system of prosperity. Psalm 73, 12 says, Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world and increasing riches. They prosper in the world system. It says the ungodly prosper in the world's system, but because we have failed to teach God's people God's system, and others have failed to receive the teaching, many are operating believers. Born-again Christians are operating are trying to gain increase and in prosperity through the world's system. Let's look at the problem with the world system. Number one, Satan is the head of it. Satan, the enemy of the believer, be, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, the Bible says that the devil is our adversary, and he is the head of the world system. Second Corinthians is a, chapter 4, verse 4, is one of our proof texts. <clears throat> In the New Living Translation, it says, Satan who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand the message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. The Bible says that Satan is the God, small g, of this world. Well, we know he's not the God of the earth because the Bible says the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. He is the God or the creator or the originator of the world's system. The Luke chapter four, verse five through eight, we have another proof text. The Bible says in what we call the wilderness temptation that Satan took Jesus up in a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Then he said to Jesus, this is one of the temptations he said to Jesus, all the, the authority of these kingdoms and the glory of these kingdoms, I'll give it to you. Because the glory and the authority, glory 
refers to the wealth of the kingdoms and the authority of the kingdom has been delivered to me. That's what Satan said to Jesus. He says that the glory and the authority of the kingdoms of the world have been delivered to me. Now, when was the glory and the authorities of the kingdom delivered to Satan? Well, we have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when man rebelled against God. God entrusted the kingdoms of the world, the glory of the kingdoms of the world to his man, Adam. Adam rebelled against God, disobeyed God, and literally transferred the authority and the glory, the wealth of the kingdoms over into the hands of Satan. Then Satan says, it has been delivered to me. And Jesus didn't argue with him. He said, now, if you will fall down, if you will bow down, if you will worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms. I'll give you the glory. I'll give you the wealth. So we see now that Satan is the God of the world system. So we're looking at what's the problem with trying to gain increase in prosperity and and the rich life through the world system. Well, Satan is the head of the world system. That's a problem for you, believer, if you're trying to prosper through his system. Now, his system Number one involves compromise. You have to compromise godly values in order to increase in his system. He says, fall down. He says, bow down. He says, I'll give, worship me. That simply literally means that you have to compromise godly values in order to increase in his system. The second problem with trying to prosper through the world system is that the world system doesn't favor everyone. It doesn't favor the poor, the uneducated. It doesn't favor minorities. It doesn't favor the elderly. It certainly doesn't favor believers. It doesn't favor Christians because Christians are the light They're the light. They have the gospel. They have the capacity to dethrone Satan operation in the earth. And so that's why you hear believers say, when I was in the world, I was doing better than I'm doing now that I'm saved. Well, you didn't have any pressure when you was in the world. You was on Satan's side. Now you're on God's side. So you're going to Feel some pressure. And I I submit to you that if you will evaluate and take a survey of the members, uh, most of the members in the average church, their area of challenge, their big area of challenge, the majority of the, the members of the church, if they talk about their challenges, it's going to be in the financial realm because Satan has some leverage in that realm. What's wrong with trying to uh, prosper through the world system, trust in the world system? Well, success in the world system is the result of physical 
and mental power only. Now, I want you to follow me. Success in the world system is the result of physical and mental power only. There are three kinds of power in the earth today. Three kinds of power. There's physical power, there's mental power, and there's spiritual power. Now, some would include militaristic power. That, that's the power of government to build armies, uh, to uh, establish an armed force, forces, and to engage warfare to protect the government's interests. But I'm pushing that off the table. I'm not talking about military power. I believe that there are three primary uh, kinds of power in the earth. That's physical power, that's mental power, and then there's spiritual power. I am saying that success through the world system is the result of physical and mental power only. What do you mean, uh, Mike, by physical power? By physical power, I mean the power of your hands, I mean work. I mean demanding work. Now, God created work. Work is a blessing. But the demanding kind of work that the world requires is under the curse, the power of the hands. You listen to uh, uh, famous people or rich people. They talk about how hard they work. They work seven days a week. They, they worked uh, uh, 18 to 20 hours a day. God never intended for us to work like that. That's physical power. And then mental power, I, I mean education, I mean intellectual power, getting the degrees and getting the qualifications and getting all this kind of certificates and all that. The, 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 uh, the development of the mind. Now, every believer, we should develop our mind. Education is not bad. I am saying that the world system is based on physical power, hard demanding work, and mental power, intellectual power, the development of the mind. But it is void of spiritual power. And that's where the believer's edge is. Your edge is not in your hands. Your edge is not in your mind. Your edge is in your spirit. God intended for believers, his people, to live out of our spirits. Yes, we work. He gave us work. Work is a blessing. Yes, we develop our minds. We should reach our full potential intellectually. But the believer is not limited to physical and mental power. I'll give you a proof text uh, for what I'm saying. In Genesis 3, 17 through 19 in the New Living Translation, it says, And to the man, this is after the fall. Follow me. This is powerful stuff. And to the man, he said, since you listen to your wife, now God is speaking after the fall to Adam and Eve, he said, and to the man, he said, since you listen to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground, now watch this now, 
Listen, believer, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life, you will struggle. Come on, say struggle. You were not created to struggle. It is not God's will for you to struggle in life. Now watch this. He said, because uh, because you've disobeyed all your life, you will struggle to to scratch a living from it scratching a living from it. Now watch it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat its grain by the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat. Sweat, physical power, demanding power, demanding work, 20 hours a week, seven days, 20 hours a day, seven days a week the sweat of you. And you listen to famous people. They said all the time how how hard they had to work and the cost they had to pay. Now watch. And, and they're not lying. I'm going to give you a satanic formula for success. A satanic formula for success. Hands plus mind minus spirit equals struggle. Did you get that? Did you get that? I'll say that again. Now, if you're watching this podcast, I want you to act it out with me. This is a satanic formula for success. Hands plus mind, that's physical power, demanding hard work, plus mind, mind power, intellectual power, education, minus spirit equals struggle. Now, I'm going to show you in a moment another problem with this way of trying to prosper. But I want you to notice this way, if you're trying to prosper through the world system, then it has a ceiling. In a lot of jobs, they have grades, like you're grade seven or you're grade 12, and you can work all your life and you reach a grade 12, and boy, you've arrived. But that's a ceiling. The beautiful thing, by prospering in the kingdom, there's no ceiling to you. There's no grade where you have to stop. Another problem with this way of prospering is it will include, I'm talking about trusting the world system, it will include sorrow and lead to bad success. It will include, now, if you're prospering or attempting to prosper through the world system, it's going to involve sorrow and it's going to lead to bad success. Now, let me give you my proof text. Joshua 1.8 says, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. Then you shall make your way prosperous. This is godly prosperity. And then you will have good success. Come on, say good success. The very fact that Joshua 1.8 says that there's good success implies that there is a bad success. Now, Proverbs 10.22 says the blessing of the Lord, it makes rich, watch this, and add no sorrow. Add no sorrow. Now, listen at this. Tell me if this is 
a, a rich life. Let's say you're famous, you, you have popularity. Let's say you have position. Uh, let's say you have power. Let's say you have wealth. But because the way you gain it required you to spend time at work 20 hours a day, seven days a week, you had no time with your spouse, you had no time with your children, what's going to happen? Your priorities are off. Now you're going to have marital issues, marital problems, and you're going to have relational problems with your children. And we see that all the time among what we call the worldly rich. Most of the time, multiple divorces, multiple divorces. Much of the time, problem relationship with children. Why? Because that system, the world system, is so demanding on your time, 20 hours a week, 22 hours a week, seven days a week, there's no time to give to your relationship with your spouse, give to your relationship with your kid, so you're going to have some sorrow in that. And because you don't have time to give attention to your body, you're going to have some breakdown in your body. And because of the continued stress on your mind, you're going to have some problems in your mind. So let me ask you a question. You, you got riches, you got money, plenty of money, you got position, you got power, you got fame. But you don't have anybody to appreciate it with or live it with, enjoy with. And you got all these divorces and you're paying out money here and giving money here and got to give money to this. And you got kids who don't like you, don't want to have a relationship with you. You know what that's called? That's called bad success. It's called bad success. Your body is breaking down because you don't give it the balance that it needs. That's bad success. You're suicidal in your mind. That's called bad success. You, you have all these addictions, alcohol and drugs and sex. You got all these addictions because you're trying to keep your body running. Because your body wasn't created to run like that, so you got to take all these pills, you got to take all this stuff to keep yourself going at the pace that the world system requires. But the Bible says that the blessing of the Lord will make you rich and add no sorrow. That means you can increase and God will elevate you, give you position and power. You can have wealth, you can have money, but you can have a healthy marriage, you can have positive relationship with your kids. You can have a strong, sound mind. You can have a healthy, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow. So many are just, just really trusting the world system. And I'm telling you, you got to jump out of, that, out of that system. If you follow me, I'll teach you how to walk in God's system. That's number eight. Number nine, let's look at the ninth enemy or assassin of the rich life. 
The ninth assassin is what I'm calling an entitlement mentality. An entitlement mentality. Let's define entitlement according to what I'm teaching. Let, let, allow me to give you some definitions, and then I'll give you some examples of entitlement. Entitlement, an entitlement mentality, is an attitude of being owed or deserving of something, even though one does not add value or meaningful contribution. I'll say that again, because we see this entitlement mentality. We see it in families. We see it in business. We see it in employers, employees. We see it in leadership. We see entitlement in the church. It's all over the place. An entitlement mentality is an attitude of being old, deserving of something, even though one does not add value or a meaningful contribution. An entitlement mentality is a refusal to accept responsibility. An entitlement mentality is a belief that one is more important or superior to others and deserving of special treatment. An entitlement mentality is a denial of how one's actions are impacting others. Now you have to go back and you have to look over that. Let me give you some examples and you'll see how broad this entitlement mentality is. First example, a self-centered child who does not help, want to help out with chores. You, the child is eating, the child's living in, in the house, the child's doing all this stuff, but they don't want to help out with chores. That's an entitlement mentality. And if the child is old enough and working, don't want to invest financially or pay rent or pay for a bill or anything like that. That is an entitlement mentality. I deserve to have it. I am your child. I deserve to have it. That's an entitlement mentality. An entitlement mentality is exemplified by a grown-up who refuses to work. We're not talking about people who are trying to get a job. We're talking about grown-ups who refuse to work or refuse to work certain jobs. That's an entitlement. You know, I can't work that job. You know, I can't work that job. That's an entitlement mentality. But we also see uh, entitlement mentalities in the workplace, an unmotivated employee who has the skills but will not invest themselves in their job, entitlement on the job. Sometimes leaders have an entitlement mentality. A leader who expects followers to respect and obey them, obey him or her because of their title or position and not because of their character. Ain't that something? Ain't that something? Isn't that something? Now, now think about it. A, a leader can have an entitlement mentality. I'm a leader. I expect you to obey me. I expect you to respect me. And just because 
I'm your boss just because I've got the title, I got the position, even though my character is not what it should be. That's an entitlement mentality. Sometimes ministries, ministries have entitlement in, in their uh, leadership. Ministries with prima donna leaders, inflated egos. Sometimes ministries can have leaders who have a prima donna uh, mentality. They have inflated egos. They, they tell folk what to do. You ever seen leaders, they want to tell folk what to do, but they don't want to ever do anything. They don't want to help doing anything. They don't give an example of a leader who is willing to jump in, willing to help their subordinates, willing to give support. They just want to do this. I'll tell you, you go here, you go there. Uh, that's an entitlement mentality. Poor performance. Think about this. Poor performers who still expect to be paid, promoted, and kept on the team. That can be anything. It can be athletics. It can be whatever kind of team. You got a person on the team who is a poor performer, but they still expect to get paid. They still expect to get promoted. They still expect to get kept on the team and get angry when they're kicked off the team. That's an entitlement mentality. Judas had an entitlement mentality. Judas said, listen, now, I'm working hard. He's sending us out here. We're doing all this, all these things. You know, I, I should, Judas really said this. I, he literally said, I know he did. Uh, you say, how you know he did? Judas said to himself, I should be making more than I'm making. I deserve more than I'm making. So you know what he did? He stole from the treasury. He was the treasury. He had the money bag. And he started stealing money out of the bag because he had an entitlement mentality. He said, I deserve more than I'm being paid. Sometimes people steal in different ways. They steal time. They steal their talent. They steal because they have an, an entitlement mentality. They're not trusting God. They trust in themselves. Judas wasn't trusting God. He was trusting himself. He said, now I should be making more money than I'm making. And, and I think, listen, I, I, every time Jesus goes somewhere, he selects Peter, James, and John. He never asked me to go along with him, and I deserve more. So he starts stealing out the treasury. Judas had an entitlement mentality. Now, the final assassin of the rich life is unbelief. You know we had to end up with unbelief. Now, let's look at unbelief as we close. Unbelief is not ignorance. Ignorance is a lack of information. Unbelief is not error. Error is you believe something to be factual, but it's not, okay? Unbelief is a strong reluctance to believe God's word. You know what it says, but you choose not to accept it. You choose not to embrace it. You choose not to allow it to govern your life. Now, Hebrews 3.19 in the New Living Translation, we see Israel, the nation of Israel, was in 
unbelief and and was not, most of them was not allowed to go into the promised land. So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. Now, Mark 6, 5 through 6, we see that Jesus could not do many wonderful, miraculous works in his hometown. Now, let's see what it says. Mark 6, 5 through 6 in the New Living Translation. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't, referring to Jesus, then say he wouldn't, say he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then Jesus went around about the villages, teaching the people in other places. Now, I want you to notice something. Jesus went to his hometown. He wanted to perform the miracles he had performed in other areas. But the Bible says he could not because of their unbelief. And the Bible says that he went to other places and taught the word. Now, it's something about unbelief. Really, to be honest with you, you can't, you can't change. No preacher can change unbelief. No minister can change unbelief. No pastor can change unbelief. Jesus doesn't try to change unbelief. Unbelief is a choice to not embrace what they know, what they hear. It's, it, it is a, a, a deliberate choice. It's a waste of time trying to trying to change people who don't believe. I'm talking about unbelief. I'm not talking about people who are ignorant. I'm talking about people who have heard, but I don't receive that. Now, that's a waste of time. You need to go somewhere else and try to help somebody else. Now, the Bible says over in Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower, some seed fell on the wayside. And the Bible says the birds came and took the seed that fell on the wayside. Now, I believe that the seed that fell on the hardened path is, is a, an example of people who hear, but they're in unbelief. And I think there are a number of reasons why people get over in unbelief. I think sometimes it is negative experiences. For example, for example, let's say a Christian who really loves God, hunger for, hungry for God, want to grow, but a baby Christian, they're in a ministry or in a church or in an environment, and they're giving and tithing and doing everything and trying to follow uh, what they're hearing. They're young in the things, and they discover their pastor is not living what he or she is preaching. The pastor may be fleecing the flock, and they, they get that negative thing, or the pastor is sleeping with everybody then that can, can create an aversion in the hearer, and especially if they're a young believer, hearing anything from any pastor, any Christian, and sometimes these people fall away into unbelief. Sometimes it's religion. Sometimes religion can hearten people. I was in a denominational setting where I was teaching the word, and there were some people who received it. There were other people who said to me personally, that is not what we believe here. In other words, their religion had created 
a hardness in them from even hearing the Bible when it's preached. So sometimes it's religion, sometimes it's circumstances, sometimes it's familiarity. The people in Nazareth were so familiar with Jesus that they got over into unbelief. That's just Joseph. That's that's Joseph's son. That's Mary's son. We know him. He lived on on Fifth Avenue, straight up the street from my house, and he's no prophet. It was the familiarity that, that created the unbelief. And sometimes it's not just familiarity of, of people. Sometimes it can be a familiarity of an environment. Some people are so familiar with their, their down-and-out existence that they've hardened their hearts to another way of living. Listen, God wants you to live the rich life. Now, we got a ways to go because we got to talk about why. We got to talk about how. But listen, God wants you to live a rich life in this life. Now, I'm out of time, out of town, I'm out of time, but we're going to pick up right here in our our next session. Uh, I don't see that we have any uh, questions today. Uh, So listen, thank you for joining us. Remember, we're going to be doing something else on our Thursday uh, podcast at 7. Look forward to seeing you. Thank you for joining us today. Mm-hmm.